ASI Season 4, Episode 8. My name is Russ Shaw, and this is the story of my own chop outline. ASI Podcast. I've been cursed. I've been crossed. I've been beaten by the ones that get me off. I've been cut. I've been opened up. I've been shattered by the ones I thought I loved. You left me here like a chalk outline on the sidewalk waiting for the rain to wash away. Wash away. Yes, 2015. Some of you listen to the show and you like the show, right? You like the vibe of the show. You like a lot of the stuff I say. But then there's some times where I just, you're like, you're, you know, you're getting into the show. You're digging some of the energy. And then I say something that you're just going like, oh, did he have to say that? It's like, I don't know about that. Come on, Russ, seriously? Did you just, did you just say that? <laughs> yes, I might have said that. This is one of those shows we were going to talk about it, all right? But before I get into the meat and potatoes of what I wanted to communicate in this episode, uh, first, some things, uh, some news. I uh, got a new job, kind of, right? New independent contractor gig. I am now an Uber driver, which is actually what I'm doing right now. I'm sitting here waiting for a ride. So I'm still doing the pizza thing, but the pizza van just, it kind of died. It didn't completely die. Like it still runs and drives, but now it's got like 400, it's almost got 430,000 miles on it. That's right, 430,000 miles. That's, uh, that's like circling the planet eight times or something. I don't know. The rack and pinion on the van is getting to the point where one wheel wants to do one thing and the other wheel wants to do another thing, which can make it hard to steer. (laughs) And if the rack and pinion gives out completely, yeah, it's not a good thing. So it's starting to get to the point where it's not safe to drive, but it still runs and drives and the engine's still good. It leaks a little oil, but wow, right? 430,000 miles. It's pretty, it's pretty good. Got my use out of it, I can say that. So I bought a new vehicle. Well, it's new to me. It's a used vehicle. But uh, it's a 2014, so it's a Chevy Sonic. I actually paid less for this car than I did for the van when, it, when I first got it. So uh, looking forward to making some money with this thing. It gets way better gas mileage, which helps me out. And... Uh, that's how that goes. Kids are doing good. My daughter is now the uh, manager of a Fred Meyer store, 25 years old, which is pretty good. Uh, Fred Meyer's a big, uh, kind of like Walmart, only it's a union shop. You got groceries and it's retail. But uh, so, yeah, that's what my daughter's doing. My son is a checker uh, at the same store. He runs the, uh, you know, checker machine. He's 19. So, 
it's a good job for him. And uh, my wife is uh, still doing the Avon thing, and we're uh, we're doing we're doing fine. All right, here in Seattle area, and it's been warm and not so rainy. It has rained, but not as much as it usually does. Anyway, get that out of the way. Um, that's the thing, though, with my time. It's going to be more difficult now to do this show, and I am doing some writing. I've been saying that for years, right? I got a book in the works, man. <laughs> well, the cool thing is, is I'm, I'm around people... I'm in a healthier uh, environment spiritually. I can say that, right? The latter days of Mars Hill Church is coming apart. We're just not healthy for a lot of us there. And uh, so, uh, you know, I'm in an encouraged environment, which is cool. And uh, that's a good thing. So there is hope that I might actually publish something one day. (laughs) But other than that... I still got to pay the bills, make the, uh, you know, make the mortgage note monthly, that kind of thing. So the pizza business has got to the point where uh, I'm not as profitable as I once was, and it's a huge, super competitive market, and uh, where I used to be, you know, sought after, and hey, Russ is awesome, sells a lot of pizza, and now Russ is is a lot of work and doesn't make us that much money anymore. So by dinner rush, they want me out and lunchtime I have to, they squeeze me in, in between the craziness of the orders that are going on at the time. So that's what we're dealing with as far as at at my house, trying to keep the bills paid as the pizza business kind of slowly winds to an end. Which is good. It's closing that chapter of my life, which is a pretty freaking long chapter. I'll be honest with you. I had a few listeners who've challenged me with this over the last six months to a year or so. And I wanted to address it. Somebody finally put it into words that had me uh, want to really um, bring this to light. Maybe solve some dissonance as far as uh, what it means to have enough self-discipline, right? What what is self-discipline? What is self-control, as the Bible would say, right? One of the fruits of the Spirit is self-control. And I talk a lot about being honest in this show. I talk a lot about um, one of the missing components in a lot of Christian teaching, uh, at least in the last 50 to 100 years, is the component of emotion and spirituality, which is not just um, wires in a box or studying more volumes of theology, but it's it's it is facts, right? There is some discipline involved in learning the things we need to learn, right? But why do we learn those things? Um, and I've talked about that in the show, and I've had people kind of confront me about it a little bit, saying like, "Okay, so." You're just saying that it's not about begrudging submission, Russ, and that there is a lot of emotion involved, and so I should just give in to my emotions. Is that what you're saying, Russ? I should just give in and be honest about what I feel and go that route? Is that what you're encouraging? Um, Yes and no. 
And so there's two different levels of that that I want to talk about here today. And hopefully it will be uh, stimulating enough to have you listen to the whole thing. <laughs> because it's uh, because I think it's important. I think it's very important to discern right which way we're going. Are we just doing things because we feel good about them, or are we doing things because we love other people? We want to make a difference in in the lives of the people around us, in our communities. We want to shine light, or do we want to just you know continue to suck life out of? the things and people around us so that we feel better about ourselves, right? And listen, if I sound critical towards you, all right, if you feel like I'm calling you selfish or bullying you or something like that, um, it's it's part of it's, I'm talking to myself here as well. I've been doing that since the beginning. This is a blog kind of a situation going on, right? Um, and part of this is my worldview, all right? God loves us. God is love. The essence of love, the energy of love itself is in the being of, of God, the creator, or the creator of the universe. And, and like, you know, believe it or not, the lover of your soul. All right? God isn't distant. God loves us. And he does want the story to move forward for us, right? That's part of why there's suffering in this world. It's part of why our stories are difficult, why things are hard. Um, we're either part of our worldview and part of our theology and part of the way we see life is you're either going to believe down deep, down somewhere in your motivator that you are driven by consuming, right? And that's part of what I'm saying here. I'm not trying to make you feel guilty, but I want you to maybe wake up to the, the joy-sucking sound of the vacuum of just being a consumer and consuming and sucking and, and life only being about what we can devour or consume that makes us happy in the moment. Does that make sense? So having said that, that sounds kind of dark and critical, Russ. I don't know how I feel about that, right? How do I feel about it? Uh, good point. So I'm going to try and do my best to articulate the difference between the two. On the one hand, we know what we should and ought to do. On the other hand, there's the motivation to get ourselves to actually want to do those things, right? And that's part of the honesty of knowing the path and walking the path. And I've talked about that before, especially with this whole Mark Driscoll, Mars Hill Church fiasco, where here was a man who was really gifted at articulating and communicating how to walk the path. But when when the rubber meets the road in, in our own lives, are we going to actually do what we know and what we know we should and ought to do or are we just going to do what we usually do? And, and it usually only happens when life comes to those stressful moments, right, where the gauntlet is thrown down or the circumstances come to the point where you're, um, there's a fork in the road, right? And you're either going to walk the path that you know and, and sometimes that's part of the, the, the part of the faith, right? It's, it's, the, it's the action. It's faith without works is dead. You, you can talk about faith, right? You can know faith. You can, you can memorize all the scripture verses on faith. 
But when the scary moment comes and when circumstances rise themselves to the point where you have to make a choice, I'll give you an example from my own life. With this new job, I have to discipline myself to not let myself sink into my own, what I call, sanitarium. One of the things I've had to confess to some friends of mine is that I'm kind of a crappy friend, right? Like, I want to be more connected with people than I am. I think I'm getting better at it, that when I can hang out with people, I can be myself and I can, uh, you know, I can give and take and right that kind of thing but it, it it's kind of second nature to me right like i see i i'm i'm a pretty personable guy i'm not a shy person i enjoy being in the company of other people the thing is with uh you know sometimes with bible studies right and some of the guys that get intense and deep some of those conversations they still make me uncomfortable i'll be honest with you right and, and that's okay it's not about my comfort but in those situations, I can, again, I can tend to be a crappy friend and it, it, it becomes all about me, right? It becomes all about my own comfort and, and staying in my little sanitarium. It's a, it's a song by Metallica that comes to mind when I think about isolation and how I know it's unhealthy for me. Um, the social equivalent of, of, of scarfing down ding-dongs for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, right? There's actually a study that came out recently that said that being an isolated person, right, like not having those tight relationships, good friends, is actually as bad for you as uh, obesity, which was interesting. I'll post that on the, the Facebook page, by the way, the Meet Russ Shaw page. Um, but, but there's some truth to that, right? Like, I know that it does take self-discipline for me to move out of my comfort zone a little and, and actually get into those relationships that are life-giving to me. It's one of those things, like, I don't know, going to the gym, you know? You, you don't want to, but then after you get done with a workout, right, you feel better, you're you feel a sense of accomplishment and that's not necessarily what I feel like when I get around friends but you know what I'm saying right you it's a life-giving thing to be around people to share life with people and to bust out of my own right immune neglect building my own psychological immune system up to where I'm not again locked in my little sanitarium keeps me sane just to be by myself and I don't have to be challenged by the messy, funky, dirty relationships that I have to have with other people. (laughs) That's the the negative madman in the little cell talking right there. But again, maybe some of you feel me, right? It's me getting out of my own head and taking my eyes off myself, right? It's a good thing. It's good for you too, maybe, right? I like what Joyce Meyer said about uh, changing the words to that old country song where, you know, I am always on my mind, right? I am, I am always on my mind. I am always on my mind. That's my, uh, my impression of a country singer. Anyway, 
<laughs> but you get it, right? I mean, that's some of what I've known that I've been doing with some of my micro-coaching back and forth with uh, messages and emails lately is guys, like married guys, guys in a relationship will ask me a question and I'll say, I, I, I try and get their eyes off of them, all right? Like, let's try and make love to your wife, for example, uh, by not using your genitals, right? Or not thinking about your genitals or her genitals or, right, nudity in a way. Get her inside her without the fleshy part. Does that make sense? Like, do the dishes. Take out the garbage, right? Do something um, that would make her day a little easier, guys. I mean, that's one of the, the examples of what I'm talking about with this right trying to this th that takes self discipline does it not like i don't feel like doing those things i'll be honest with you i am not the guy who likes helping my wife make the bed as much as she enjoys it when i do help her make the bed i would rather do something else all right i'd rather check twitter <laughs> or right does that make sense i'm i'm I, that takes some of me getting outside of my own selfish feelings. My email address, by the way, is russ at asi247.org if you'd like to send an email to the show. Uh, my The Twitter handle is C Russ, or sorry, it's at Russ Shaw, all one word, uh, that's the Twitter handle. So, and you can, uh, I have a Facebook Meet Russ Shaw page that's up on the website, asi247.org as well if you would like to interact with me. Also, uh, a new thing on the website, ASI247.org, is the surveys page. If you would like to go there, I have 10 questions for you. Actually, I have about 30 questions for you, but they're broken up into three different categories. And if you would like to, um, these are questions I would ask you uh, for people who really struggle in this area. Um, so you can go to the website asi247.org and and we'll hey we'll talk about it all right <laughs> let me ask you some questions it'll be interesting uh, hopefully peel back some of the layers of shoulds and ought tos um, getting to the meat of, of where we're at so to speak in those surveys <laughs> Yes, what is going to go in the chalk outline? That's a good question, right? Dying to self is never easy. I like what Daniel Pryor said. He said that, you know, that we need other people, that this Christian life, that we walk this out among other believers is so critically important because we, we, we can't go and die to self by ourselves. You know, there's this mosaic that the Holy Spirit brings to having different life-giving relationships that can pour into the, the, the outpouring of our story, you know? Pride and ego are such hard things to see. The damaging effects to them are so hard to see behind our own eyes. We really do need other people to help us with that, but we have to trust them 
to let them behind the counter, right? Um, Freud, you know, reading some of the stuff that Freud wrote about ego and how he felt that it was kind of this byproduct that evolved out of, you know, us being monkeys or primates or something like that. I don't know. But the way he nailed pride right the way that he nailed the the fountain of of this outpouring of of ego was was so true um the guy just didn't put it in a theological framework but it's really something that has been written about for thousands of years and it's it's called selfish self-absorbed blind pride it's what a lot of the Pharisees had, even though they were doing all the right things, right? That was always one of those weird things for me. Like, why does Jesus have such a hard time with guys who were doing everything right? Because they were mean, all right? They didn't know how to communicate that to help other people with their shattered lives and, and live in righteousness because living in righteousness is, is good, right? It's not just, oh, this sucks. I have to do all these neat, nice things all the time. No, it's it's not about that. It's not about your ego. It's not about you looking good. It's about giving life, receiving life. Giving love, receiving love, right? Not the, I've got to win. You know, I've got to beat you and you better not cross me because if you do, I'm coming, right? I'm coming for you. That kind of energy that just leads to death. And listen, ego isn't all dark and it isn't all bad, all right? But it, it's part of our self-confidence. But that battery of ego or self-confidence can leak this nasty acid if we let it, right? If we don't continue to cultivate those healthy relationships with people who are good boundaries for us, you know? We can just leak nasty, corrosive acid. That's why it's so important to have a healthy prayer life and healthy, again, healthy friends who can say, hey, you got some leaky stuff coming out of your self-confidence there, right? You're leaking battery. So we're not continuing to pollute some of these tender relationships with our drip drops of the ripple effect of destruction you know and listen trust me on this all right it takes cultivating relationships with not shallow hollow people all right people that have the courage know you enough to say something all right Nate Larkin and the pirate monk radio podcast uh, and Nate's got some really great things to say about that and talks a lot about developing some of those ever important relationships um, especially men with men men need men all right women need women it's those behind the counter safe places that we're trying to develop here we're trying to cultivate here and you know you see a guy and his wife go into bible study with a bunch of couples and it's I can see where it's not always safe for that guy to just blurt out, hey, I got a compulsive pornography problem. 
there is a good thing about couples getting together and doing like a, a study, a Bible study or something like that, and talking about a book study or right real situations. But there's a different dynamic when it's men with men and when it's women with women. Because some of us, I mean, if we're honest, you're in a relationship with your wife, girlfriend, boyfriend, husband, whatever, right? I heard a guy, kind of shock jock guy on the radio in Seattle here years ago talking about how, ladies, you just wouldn't want to know what's going on in the mind of your man most of the time, right? And there's some truth to that. I get that, but that's part of, again, a Christian worldview and thinking about purity. And purity is a word that I'll be honest with you, I haven't liked. Uh, There are some people that have helped me with that. And it is a biblical dynamic that we would want to be more sexually pure. And that has to do with what we think about in our minds as well. But see, that's when you as a younger man coming to some kind of a group with guys and being honest enough to say, hey, I keep thinking about my college professor naked right for example um that's that's something that you could bring up and then we could talk about that but do you want to bring that up with your girlfriend probably not but again is she uh, some relationships are like that where yeah we can just talk about that but again there's the christian worldview that says that i want my mind to be pure i want my thoughts to be pure i want my thoughts to think about redirecting those towards the marriage bed and that forever kind of love and wanting and and stirring affections for my wife and not for other people that i I, other women aren't mine so i'm not going to let my mind feast on those thoughts where the shock jock radio guy will just say oh well that's normal and men just think about that and that's okay think about whatever you want because you can't control it anyway Um, it's just not true not that you can control it, but you can focus those thoughts towards someone you love, towards getting into a relationship with someone you love, towards, right, developing a relationship and not just being about body parts. <laughs> Does that make sense? But yeah, you know, you get in a relationship and, and if you think that those lustful thoughts are just going to go away, no. And you need to be able to talk about it, man. It's just good for you. And and it's it, it's not always you don't always feel safe to talk about the inner workings of your heart. I think it's important that we get there. That's called intimacy, right? Love what Doctor Block said. I had him as a guest on the show. Brilliant man wrote this book called Naked Intimacy. He said, you know, that's like me with addiction. You know what addiction is? It's a bad habit. Can we stop with the sciency books and textbooks and bringing out, you know, the the DSM and and all this? It's just a bad habit. Can we just bring it down to that? <laughs> and Doctor Block said intimacy. He's like, you know, you can write a bunch of psychology books on what intimacy is, but he says, listen, you know that stuff that rattles around in your skull and the self-talk and the things that you think about. It's actually sharing that with another person, and when that other person can be your spouse, you know, your life gets a whole lot better, <laughs> right? It's simple as that. You know, it's like taking the little uh, USB wire that is a relationship and plugging it in to someone that you love. How, why does that become so hard over time? I think we try and project ourselves to be something that they would accept. 
because we don't feel comfortable about who we actually are underneath the layers, right? Find some people that you can peel back the layers with and be yourself. It's so important. Hopefully this show can be a catalyst as I try not to let my ego take charge and the battery acid of my self-confidence spill onto your skin. (laughs) I don't know. Um, Right? This show is about talking about some of that stuff. Fill out a survey, by the way. I have those on the website. It that's that's part of this. Um, that's part of some of what I'm talking about right here. Uh, ASI247.org. Click on the survey page. Um, I, I, again, I want to make. I mean, this show is really listener driven, and today is no exception. I had a listener who emailed me and we had some dialogue going back and forth for a while, but but asking the question about shouldn't sex be exciting, right? Like this heart pounding kind of energy, tension, excitement around the the lovemaking experience. Um, shouldn't it be like that? Like, I want that. I want that with my wife. How can I get more of that? I think was the, the question the listener was asking. And it had me thinking also about Fifty Shades of Grey. Again, I haven't read the book. I haven't seen the movie. I read a lot of reviews of the book just so I could be knowledgeable about it. Um, I heard some of the music to it. And, and there's this there's this kind of... Uh, mimicking heart poundingness in 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 even the trailer to the to the movie that had me f- like okay right like that makes sense a little bit and that seems to be that that's kind of the energy of this story and from what i hear it's kind of another it's a vampire sort of love story and i've talked about that a lot in the past some of my halloween episodes on <laughs> the analogy between sexual addicts and vampires is uh right there's no coincidence in that um but how right it's kind of like how do we get more of that heart pounding excitement in our relationship and in our sex lives um and and what i challenged the listener with him and I, I felt like I should say this on the show is that that kind of thing is is part of the fruit of a good relationship all right and it doesn't always happen all the time and 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 when you get married and you know each other and you live together and right there's there's just a different energy to it um but again we we kind of want to change the story or make it about us right about our heart i want that heart pounding feeling without waiting around for it it's the same thing with drug addiction and people get on cocaine methamphetamine it makes everything interesting it makes our hearts pound and this is very similar right you could do that with drugs or you can do that with images on a screen does that make sense you could do that with some of the ways that people can connect nowadays with technology and you can just meet a stranger and and it's again it's that false easy quick fix kind of thing that is destructive again the analogy i've used before um in alaska we have this term called peeing your pants to keep your backside warm right 
Like, does it work? Yeah, man. It, it will warm you up, and it's actually tempting. You know, you're walking around. It's 20 below zero. I remember I was on this mountainside, and the snowmobile broke down. I'm like 15 years old trying to shove the snowmobile, <laughs> make it roll down this hill. And uh, I'll tell you, man, it, it's tempting. Did you feel that coming on? No, don't do that. Are you going to get pleasure from a, a relationship like that? Yeah, that heart-pounding kind of wow, warm feeling. Yeah, but again, you know where that leads. That's probably why you're listening, whether it's pornography or just relationships that are short-term, shallow, surfacey, sexual trysts. Um, it's kind of the same thing. That's some of my issue in some of the debates I've had on NoFap, right? The NoFap Christian side is, is it's cool because people get that, that that's not okay. But now NoFap, some people are trying to quit pornography so that they can just go out and be, you know, the vampire. Or a more effective predator, still using terms like, you know, my whole identity is built on how much pussy I can get. It's just not healthy. And women aren't, again, they're people, man. She's not just a pussy. This isn't a Friskies commercial, right? Morris the cat ain't going to be wandering in here looking for a snack. You know, I know I make jokes. I'm demonstrating absurdity by being absurd. Women are people. They're God's creation. Their characteristics of beauty aren't just on the outside, but the inside. She's a person with a heart and feelings and a mind and a history and a mom and dad and potential gifts and abilities, right? So again, this is where worldview is so incredibly important, right? And I'll, and I'll tell you something, all right? This is one of those begrudging submission things, right? This is one of those things that's like, yes, it's not about begrudging submission, but... When you go through carrying your cross, right? There's lots of verses on that. When we pick up our cross and follow Jesus, when we do the scary thing, like letting people into those places and behind the counter in our life, like that may feel like carrying a cross or even starting to do the hard work to develop those relationships. Um, picking up a dish and washing it for your spouse, helping with some of the chores, taking her to dinner or something like that, right? These are these are carrying our cross type of situations that, that develop a relationship. And what the the fruit of that again is is the heart poundingness, the excitement of life, the feeling of meaning in our lives. See, we will put our faith in something. It's part of how we're built. I mean, that's part of excitement too, you know, taking risks is, is something that we do as people. There's people that can be addicted to risk taking, right? Gambling addiction has to do with that. But in our, the way we're made up is we want to take leaps of faith because leaps of faith lead to some of that heart pounding excitement, don't they? It's that tension leading up to a decision. And every time we make a decision, we change the world a little bit, right? We change our world a little bit. We change our family's world a little bit. We change a dynamic. Faith and works are 
faith and works are ingrained in one another. And we all will have faith, right? You get behind the wheel of your car, you drive to work, you have faith that car is going to get you to work, you're going to get to work safely, you're going to be on time, right? It's not that we don't have faith, it's what do we put our faith in? And how we even define it. I think that modern popular culture has redefined faith into like wishful thinking or hoping, right? Well, I have faith that things are going to get better. This is uh, from Eugene Peterson's translation of the message. And I love this because it communicates, I think what James was trying to, to communicate wasn't just a talk on this is faith and this is works, but he was trying to help um, ignorant religious people understand the definition of what faith actually is. Here you go, starting in verse 14 of chapter 2. James. Dear friends, do you think you'll get anywhere in this if you learn all the right words but never do anything? Does merely talking about faith indicate that a person really has it? For instance, you come upon an old friend dressed in rags and half-starved and say, Good morning, friend. Be clothed in Christ. Be filled with the Holy Spirit and walk off without providing him as so much as a coat or a cup of soup. Where does that get you? Isn't it obvious that God talk without God acts is just outrageous nonsense? <laughs> I love that. Verse 18. I can already hear one of you agreeing by saying, Sounds good. You take care of the faith department. I'll handle the works department. Not so fast. You can no more show me your works apart from faith than I can show you my faith apart from works. Faith and works, works and faith, fit together like hand and glove. Um, I'll go on. This is just good stuff. Do I hear you professing to believe in the one and only God, but then observe you complacently sitting back as if you had done something wonderful? That's great. Demons do that. But what good is it to them? Use your heads. Do you suppose for a minute that you can cut faith and works in two and not end up with a corpse in your hands? I love that. Um, I won't read you the whole chapter, but I urge you to read it. It's James chapter 2. After verse 21, he goes into using these examples of people that used their faith and how it played out in action, like um, Abraham and Isaac. And then he uses a very interesting one as a example it's Rahab the prostitute all right Rahab the prostitute is in the Old Testament and she helps a couple of spies and she's instrumental in if I don't know if you've seen the Bible series of the documentary thing or the show that they had on the history channel it was pretty good and they they showed this example of, of Rahab and how the spies got into Jericho if it wasn't for her, right? I mean, she used faith and action. Rahab the prostitute, all right? It's something that uh, Matt Chandler said in a sermon recently. Like, nobody, there's no little girls that, that sit around and think that they want to become a prostitute someday. They're not sitting around thinking, wow, I, that would be a great uh, lifestyle for me. Like the horrible circumstances that had to happen in Rahab's life to be in this place. Could you imagine um, 
that and and here's another thing Rahab isn't a former prostitute that met Jesus, went through a 12-step program, got into rehab, and a year later she's pure and clean and standing in, in the church speaking. No, no. Rahab is a prostitute in this situation, right? Again, the power of the situation. Rahab's not some church lady who got her act together and started a speaking circuit on how Jesus fixed her life. She is a prostitute at that time. You don't think that that Three Days Grace song, the chalk outline, couldn't have been her theme song as well at some point in her life that she didn't feel some of the the weight of these words. I've been crushed. I've been crossed. I've been beaten by the ones that get me off. I've been cut. I've been opened up. I've been shattered by the ones I thought I loved. You think that might have been in Rahab's heart at one time or another? You think? You think Rahab might have had a little punk rock attitude sort of in her there, right? I imagine she wasn't the white, shiny, clean church person that's in every Bible story and, you know, American evangelicalism, right? No, she wasn't Miss Bible Study America, but she was beautifully demonstrating her love for God in those moments and her trust and where she placed her hope. She's she's expressing faith. I, I love that example. And I'm so grateful that it's included in the scriptures. This is where that once an addict, always an addict kind of thinking just sort of a little enrages me a little bit. I go into a, uh, right, a little bit because... Look at Rahab in this example, all right? What if she was just like, you know, um, once a prostitute, always a prostitute. Once a slave, always a slave. Maybe if I rat these guys out, I could get a meal tonight, a, a better meal, right? Where was Rahab placing her hope? How did the story unfold and why? How was her faith playing out? Again, we're going to place our hope in something, and that something is going to unfold the actions that come out in the future, all right? I hope it it makes some sense to you, because it's devoid of faith to sit around with this doubt-filled, you know, I'm always going to be stuck. Listen, the fact that you keep thinking like that and that it passes your tongue and lip gate starts to make it true. Listen, admitting your weakness and saying that you're hopeless, helpless, and that your life is unmanageable, all right, that doesn't mean that you have to be hopeless, okay? That's the point of that scripture. When I am weak, God is strong because I can lean into his strength, and that takes faith, doesn't it? Not that you muster it up. Not that you have all the power. Again, my I'm not Mr. Self-Discipline. This is faith. This is God lifting me up and picking me up when I just simply couldn't do it anymore. But it didn't... I, I, if I was hopeless, I wouldn't have even thought about it. I wouldn't have even noticed what was going on when God was blessing me or scooping me up out of my self-absorbed pity party, right? My wife and I have had 
some discussions about me doing the Uber job, and I've had some discussions with some friends about it. And uh, all right, Russ, there's going to be tempting situations, isn't there, in the Uber job? Well, first of all, there's tempting situations in the pizza job as well. Um, but again, I'm still nine years of, of sexual sobriety in this area. Like, this is not something I'm worried about. And that's another thing when it comes to worldview. There's a lot of people, and this bothered me, even as a, a drug addict, alcoholic teen, <laughs> right? I laugh. I know it shouldn't be funny, but uh, looking back, it, somehow it, it, it is. This alcohol is a disease. Drug addiction is a disease, right? It's... No, the heart is disease. The symptom is the addiction, the compulsion, the depression, the anxiety, the whatever, right? I mean, part of this is the human condition. And this is where, you know, Romans 8 became so helpful for me that I can see the road that God has had me on. I don't have to blame other people anymore, focus my sights on my parents or whatever. This is my path. This is the path that I'm on. This is and always has been the relationship that I've had with God. And how that relationship has played out, matured. It's our story, mine and God's. And you have one too. You know, Paul says in Romans 7, you know, it's not me that's doing these things, but the sin that's inside me that's working itself out. And why do I do what I don't want to do? And I end up not doing what I should do and doing what I shouldn't do. And, and, and then he goes into this in, in Romans 8, which it was just one long letter. All right. It wasn't split into chapters back then. But I think this is important to solve some of that dissonance of Romans 7. And it's another reason why I'm not so worried that sin is just going to overtake me or some woman's going to jump in my car and, and it's, you know, I'm going to be in a despairing again. This is, this is just, I'm not that man anymore. And there's some confidence in that. Now, it's not confidence in my own flesh. It's not confidence in my system of behavior modification. God, no. It's not. It's in God. It's in Christ. And it, it again, Eugene Peterson puts this so well in his message translation of Romans 8, uh, starting verse 1, Romans 8, uh, the message... With the arrival of Jesus, the Messiah, that faithful dilemma is resolved. Those who enter into Christ's being here for us no longer have to live under continuous, under a continuous low-lying cloud. A new power is in operation. The spirit of life in Christ, like a strong wind, has magnificently cleared the air, freeing you from a fatted lifetime of brutal tyranny at the hands of sin and death. God went for the jugular when he sent his son. He didn't deal with the problem as something remote and unimportant. In his son Jesus, he personally took the human condition, took it on, entered the distorted mess of struggling humanity in order to set it right once and for all. The law code, weakened as it 
always was by fractured human nature could have never done that. The law always ended up being used as a band-aid on sin instead of a deep healing of it. And now, what the law code asked for, but we couldn't deliver, is accomplished as we, instead of redoubling our efforts, right? That behavior modification, that during really hard, that, oh, I set a date in the calendar and now it's been six months and I missed it. My world is over. Better redouble my efforts. Willpower, I gotta do this. It's all about me. It's all, it's all my effort. No, it's not. I think a big part of the years of failure was God breaking down that old man ego disease in my heart and putting that guy in the chalk outline so I could actually live. You know, oh, it's all about willpower. No, it isn't. I'm going to read that part again. Sorry. Um, Instead of redoubling our own efforts, simply embrace what the spirit is doing in us. And we follow him or just like John 10.10 10 says, the devil comes to kill, steal, and destroy. And I come to bring life and bring it more abundantly, Jesus says. That's part of it. Not that your life is, you're going to you know, get a bigger house or make more money or something like that, but that you would have a more fulfilling, more full of meaning, more right heart pounding a little bit. <laughs> okay, moving the story forward kind of life your life is going in the direction where you've been placing your faith and that's where I talk about the feelings part that's why I want to talk about emotion that's why I want you to be honest about your feelings because ultimately at the end of the day <laughs> that cliche sometimes I hate that but it's this is very true this is a good place to put that at the end of the day where you place your faith, where you walk out onto the scary heart pounding. Like if I put a steel girder across the street and you just walked across that steel girder, no big deal, right? But if I put that steel girder the same length across two buildings, 30 feet in the air, walking across that steel girder is going to create some heart pounding tension, is it not? faith is like that your relationship with jesus will be like that that's where right we move out of just getting by to to actually living the story of moving it forward and moving closer to christ and seeing the reality of your faith bear fruit the scary challenge of take up your cross and follow me Matthew 16:24, Mark 8:34, Luke 9:23, and all of these gospels that quote is brought up. I pray that you understand the life-giving challenge of walking across that steel girder, doing the uncomfortable thing, doing the thing that we don't feel like doing in the moment because we're more interested in keeping our backside warm for a small amount of time to taking up our cross right and actually waiting it out until the longer version of the warm feeling 
of sitting in God's cabin with the wood stove pumping heat, just having a, a cup of tea with Jesus or coffee if you're from Seattle, right? It's, it's, it's that relational, trusting deal that I'm, that I'm talking about here. I'm going to end the show right there. I love you guys. I mean that sincerely. Um, So that will be my challenge for you this week. Will we, you and I, continue the tough work, the life-giving but hard work of putting our selfish flesh in the chalk outline and step out into this action in faith-driven story unfolding attitude that might grab a hold of your heart and through it actually see a person like yourself push back some of what's dark in the world right that you would have vision and drive and and move into the future with meaning um this show is a listener-supported, donation-driven business, and every so often I like to tell people that if you think I'm some kind of a shyster or a Christian, you know, opportunist or entrepreneur who's after your money, don't give to me. And and I have a great "Don't Give to Me" story that I want to share with you, and it's on the ASI Give page. Um, there's a gal that came to our church last week who went on a trip to Ukraine. Uh, when she was like 18 years old and fell in love with the people there. And now she actually lives there. Um, this woman, you know, built this relationship with Christ and, and through her seeing the situations with people in this war-torn country with little kids who are, you know, homeless because they're driven out of their homes, whole families who are displaced because of the, the war on, on the Ukraine and at first she started out you know helping battered women and and women who were in trouble and now she's helping families and teaching people english and and helping people in in the ukraine not because she makes a bunch of money at it because she doesn't but just because that's where her heart's at and it was a beautiful story and she showed some some very heart-wrenching pictures and stuff over there and some very joyful pictures of what as well as of just just kids who are able to be in a safe place because of some of the work that she's doing over there in the ukraine and uh her name is nicole i believe it is and and it's on the website asi247.org click on the give tab and uh you know, there you go. There's a great example of someone who's um, in a kind of adventure, right? Not that you have to go run across the globe and do something like that, but it's just an example of someone who, who again, like if my daughter at 18 wanted to go move to the Ukraine and be like, what? <laughs> you know, she's not 18 anymore. She's in her upper 20s, early 30s, something like that. But you get what I'm saying. That is a wow, adventurous, and I, I imagine at times heartbounding type of a story. Um, I'm going to leave you with a song by 6 a.m., 
It kind of reminds me of the fruit of the selfishness in our culture. This is a, a rock star who had an heroin addiction who wrote these words that I think are so beautiful. A guy who was in the band Motley Crue back in the 80s that, that made songs like Shout at the Devil. You want to talk about a guy who's had some character development. Just listen to the words to this song. Man, and, and think about, again, carrying our cross and putting our selfishness in the chalk outline. I love you guys. I mean that sincerely. I really do. Till next time. Bye.